out, nobody on. The playoffs to Murphy. Left-hand batter, strike three called to the knees and right down the middle of the plate. But down, Murphy. Some games go on for a long time. This one's still going on in my mind. Welcome back to the Autobot Podcast. My name is Justin Viber, and I'm joined, as always, by Chad Young and Niv Shaw. Uh, on this episode of the podcast, we are going to be covering some mailbag questions. We put the call out asking for any questions our listeners had, anybody that wanted topics for us to discuss on this episode. And this is probably going to be a pretty regular feature for us. We might do it every month. No promises. But we do like getting that feedback and responding to things that people want to hear from directly. So I'm going to start with our first question. This was a question that was asked on the forums. And the question was, Jordan Luplo has been a killer platoon outfielder against left-handed pitching. Can we talk about the viability of platoon guys? We have mentioned this before, but I let's let's talk about it again. How do you two feel about the viability of platoon guys first in general? And then I think secondly, the more important part of it is left-handed, you know, against lefties platoon guys. So, so I think, I mean, in general, they are very viable. You just have to appropriately value them. And that can be challenging because their, their statistics can, can be confusing at times. Like even looking at projections and stuff, you have to figure out is this, you know, is Jock Peterson being projected only facing lefties or is he being projected or sorry only facing righties i'm i'm confusing my platoons now is jock peterson being projected only facing righties or is this projection actually for a full-time jock peterson and i have to back out the bad plate appearances against lefties in which case his actual production is better than it looks so you have to be able to look at stuff like that and figure out how to value the guys the, the challenges with platoon guys are they're not going to play as many games so whatever they're worth on a per game basis, their value over the course of the season is slightly lower than a full-time player who has the same per game production. The other is that they are likely to lose plate appearances in games to pinch hitters. They also are likely to pinch hit in games. So you have to be more vigilant about either turning on your auto bench. Thank you, Niv, for that. Or about pulling them when they're not starting because you don't want to waste a plate appearance on them. Yeah, I mean, that's it right there. But other than that, like... If you got an outfielder who's going to score six points a game only against righties, that's still a six-point-per-game outfielder. He's just only going to get you 110 starts instead of 150, and you just have to value that difference. Yeah, so the only thing I'd add to that is probably, I, I don't know if any teams in Major League Baseball are really doing platoons at other positions, but I would focus on outfield, right? I don't think you want to do this in... Uh, I have like some weird memory in my head of the Rays trying to platoon at first base and stuff, and like... Maybe the rule here is just to avoid the Tampa Bay Rays because they, they try all kinds of stuff. Um, the other thing is, like, you know, the way I think about platoon guys, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, like, it's also, it's it's extremely market-based. And if you have three or four teams in your league that really like playing platoons, which I know has been, like, it's one of those things that comes in and out of fad, I think, in Auto New, because sometimes the price get corrected all the way up that a guy like Luplo is instead of being a waiver wire pickup that's available right now, could be like a $5 guy that was picked up at draft, right? And like, it really depends on where everyone else values that kind of role. 
And I think it's a good place to identify that in your league and then try to zig where the other teams are zagging or whatever. Like, it's a good place to look for value or a good place to avoid, depending on how people are playing it. So again, like, it's it's really contextual. But uh, yeah, like, absolutely, platoon, 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 platoon. There's a lot of tools on the site to make it feasible to, you know, we talk about carrying a deep outfield as much as you can because it's hard to get those games anyway. If you have a deep outfield, you have a ton of tools on the site to manage your platoons. Justin, what were you going to say on that? No, I, I was going to agree with you about the positional part of it, that that outfield, I think, is is definitely the best part to, uh, spot to do this. The only other spot that might make a little bit of sense would be catcher, just because you have a lot more flexibility as far as, right. you know, getting an early head start on games or waiting and catching up later, which is a spoiler for the next question we have here. But yeah, and and, and, and again, when it comes to platoon splits with a right somebody who's favored in a platoon split against right-handing pitching that's better obviously than someone like luplo who hits better against left-handed pitchers just because they're going to see more right righties and lefties i i think it a lot of it and chad's right it, there's it's a, it can be hard to parse exactly what the value of those players are i think you have to think about the opportunity costs of that roster spot if you have somebody like luplo yeah he's going to crush lefties but He's taking a full roster spot, and you're only starting him 30% of the time. Is your team constructed in a way where that's not a big deal? If it is, great. If it's not, you might need to find somebody else who plays more often but maybe isn't as good in the games that he does play. I think that's just a a very context-specific part of this. And I agree with your other point, too, Niv, where I've been in some leagues where I know that there are other managers that are really focused on maximizing their platoon advantages and, and, and picking up some of these guys that it's sort of hidden, right? Like sometimes you look at an overall line, if you just look at a player and he's like, oh, he's a 4.7 points per game outfielder. That's not very exciting. But then when you dig deeper and you see that he he's, you know, six points a game against righties and then is terrible against lefties. And then some of it's the points per game is low because as Chad said, he's pinch hitting a lot. So that makes it look like a lower points per game than what you're really going to get functionally because you're not, your, your points per game start is effectively what you're, you want to see, but that's not the number that's presented. So, you know, it, it can be hard to identify those players, but at the same time, that's a good reason to pick them up. If right, nobody then, else is looking at them. But, but then if everybody's looking at them because people are very into it, <clears throat> right. and, you know, and again, it's a thing that like has come up as a strategy. I know it comes up in Slack or whatever. And once those guys get out there, it can become really expensive to try to get them. And the flip side of that is, you know, if you can snag them for a couple bucks, like absolutely viable, yeah. 100%. A couple, a couple other small things, like one is you can't make it your only strategy because yeah. like, even if you go with strong side of the platoon, the big side of the platoon, the 30% of the time they face a lefty. If you have four outfielders using up two of your spots who are all platoon guys, it is not going to be that uncommon that three or four of them are facing a lefty and you feel like you can't use any of them. So you want to make sure you, you complement your platoon guys with Maybe someone who, like Justin said before, isn't quite as good, but you can play every single day if you need to. And they may be your last choice, right? It might be that you have three platoon guys and one other guy. And that that other guy is almost always on your bench. But that day that the three platoon guys all face a lefty, you'll be really glad you have that other guy. And that'll, that will happen. The other thing is to not get caught up in whether or not they are a platoon player for their team. It doesn't actually matter if their team is platooning them. It matters if you're going to platoon them. 
Now, if the team is platooning them, then you're going to platoon them naturally because you're not going to use them when their team doesn't. But there are plenty of guys out there. I'll give you an example. He hasn't really performed very well, but I was really high on Josh Naylor coming into the year. He has struggled with lefties. I, I kind of think Cleveland should be platooning him, but they're not. He's playing every day. But like, I wouldn't use him most times against lefties. And so if you're looking at how productive he can be, you want to look at his stats against righties. You want to be focused on that side of his bat because that's where he's going to bring you the most value. And that really is where you should be using him. So that's the other piece with this. I think the the one last thing on the, the small side of the platoon, a guy like Luplo, there is, there is less evidence of righties having significant platoon splits than lefties. And I don't really know why that is. I don't know the background on that, but I've been watching Luplo in part because I feel like Cleveland should be letting him play every day. And he's hit a couple home runs off of righties this year. And so guys who are right-handed bats who are being used as platoon players are also breakout candidates in my mind, because you don't know when they're going to be allowed to start facing righties regularly. That's the, that's the, Covering the corners call the Indians SB Nation blog they're calling for Luplo to play every day now, yeah. right? And I think like there's a good argument for that because just you know if he's mashing lefties as well, he's seen righties his whole life. Right. I think and I think that is why righties don't have this crazy platoons. But like as a right-handed batter growing up, you face right-handed pitchers constantly. As a left-handed batter growing up you may never face lefties like for years, right? You go through all of your youth and maybe through high school and all of a sudden in college, you start facing them and it's a totally different angle and it's hard to adjust to. And you may actually be bad at that. If Jordan Luplo were actually naturally bad at hitting right-handed hitter pitchers, he wouldn't be here. He wouldn't be a, he never would he have wouldn't be a professional it. baseball player. Right. Yeah. So now it may be that he actually does have a big platoon split and it may be that, the, that Cleveland gives him that shot and he cannot take it. Who knows? But, to me, a, a right-handed bat who's being used as a platoon, there is more possibility of them proving to be a breakout everyday player than there is a left-handed bat being used as a platoon. Yeah, yeah, I think that's an excellent point. The other question that I already alluded to that we got also on the community forums was the question about the strategy of using, because catcher is, we have two lineup spots, but it's still 162 game cap. The question specifically asked about doubling up on catchers early and then trading them away mid-season or at the trade deadline to free up some roster space to take advantage of, of picking up players elsewhere. Any ideas on that trade? Is it something that either of you have ever done? I don't think I've ever specifically done it in any leagues, not intentionally I, I maybe, anyway. I maybe should be doing it. I maybe, I mean, I got McCann and, and Darnold, and like neither of them are world breakers, but... One of those guys might be useful for someone on a trade deadline. I'm not really sure. I I don't know. I, I anyway. I mean, like we, we talked about catcher when we did the positional preview for catcher. Um, I all three of us were loath to even do that preview because we thought catcher stunk. And you know, I I think you know when we were talking about this a little bit before the episode and chat, I'll let you get into it. But like, a catcher hasn't stunk as much as we thought. But but I remain skeptical that there's a huge going to be a huge market for catcher at the deadline this year. And then, like, sort of generally, like, it just seems like a big investment at a difficult position. And, you know, there might be a time in which catcher is rich. But if catcher is rich, then you're not going to have demand at the trade deadline. And if catcher is poor, 
Like you're spending a lot of money to to fill up your catcher games before the trade deadline. Well, um, and I made that I think in the catcher preview episode, didn't I talk about the fact that like the the quality of catcher performances over the last few years is paled in comparison yeah. to what they did like six, seven, eight years ago. Right. I mean, six, seven, eight years ago, I think that would have been a much more viable strategy because you had a lot more quality to take advantage of. And, and at and now, least the top end of it is high end, high end enough that you're like going to get return for it. The top, like the fifth best catcher right now is not going to be a compel, not going to get you a compelling return. I don't think. I, th- I think the challenge here though, is not that there isn't a market for those catchers for people well, to that's buy a catchers. challenge, but I think there's a bigger well, challenge. Yeah, but, right? I, but I don't even think, I don't even think that's, I don't even necessarily think that's true. I think that catcher is so weak right now that if you actually had two good catchers, then if you actually had two good catchers, then you would very easily find somebody you could trade to. I, I just think yeah. almost every team needs catching. And so I think if you've got two catchers, you should be able to trade them. You should be able to trade one of them. I think the bigger challenge is I don't know how you come out of the auction feeling good that you have two catchers that are that good. I don't know that there were two catchers that I was that confident in. Like we talked at the beginning of the season about, you know, Grandal and Real Muto and Will Smith. Like Grandal's been terrible. Now he probably will turn it around. We've talked a little bit about that before the episode. And I know Justin feels like Grandal's going to be just fine, but like he hasn't been so far. On the other hand, you've got like, Christian Vasquez started red hot, has really cooled off. You've got Jacob Stallings has been great. Carson Kelly has been great. So like catcher's still a, sort of a, you know, it's still in the early season craziness with catcher. But I think when things settle out, there will be a market for people to buy catchers at the deadline. I think the challenge is, I just don't know that you can confidently walk out of an auction saying, yes, I've got two catchers who are going to be so good that I'm going to want to maximize them and then trade them. The only thing, so the last thing I'd add to this, and this is tied to both questions, I think. I, I agree with everything you said, Chad. Like, I think it's 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 just a really difficult thing to pull off. I also think, like this, I, I was thinking about this a little bit. We talked about this in the grab bag episode last week, episode 38. It's like, the other thing is like setting your lineup and building your team is a big time suck already. I don't want to say time suck, but like it's a big time commitment already. And setting, and you really want to spend your time setting your team instead of um, going through every single lineup spot every single day. So if these kinds of thing, these kinds of like strategies that are using up time that you're not thrilled that you're spending time using it, I just wouldn't do them. I don't think there's such a huge advantage to be gained either with the platoon thing or the catcher thing that like it's it's not a requirement. I'll, I'll say like neither like obviously the catcher one has is fraught with peril. Uh, platooning can be a real big um, time commitment and a lot of attention required. So I would just warn people, like, I don't want anyone listening to this think, if I'm playing auto new, I have to have two good platoon outfielders that are interesting to me, and I need to really think about my catcher situation. You really don't. But it, but I think in both situations, like, there are opportunities there. And like Chad said, it's a good way to, if you do end up with two really good catchers at your auction, you have options. You're not in a, tr- you're not in a situation where you're like, well, I spent too much money, yeah. right? So, like, these are things that you can react to and you can play with, um, but they certainly aren't. I just want to be, like, they're not requirements. <laughs> like, yeah. that's and all. I think you're, the word react is the right word here. I think, I don't think it makes more sense. More so than the platoon. Yeah. More so than the sure. platoon. Like. I think, that's right. I think you can go into your draft thinking, I am going to go attack my outfield via a couple platoon guys. 
That is a viable right, strategy. Right, right. I don't think you can go into your draft and say, I'm going to attack catcher by going out and getting two catchers who are so good that I want to maximize them over the first half of the season and get a good return for them in July. I just don't think you can rely on that. However, I think like if this season you went out and you paid for Wilson Contreras to be your starting catcher and then grabbed a cheap Carson Kelly as your backup because you were like, look, at least he's going to play. We'll see what happens. And now Kelly looks like an all-star and Contreras is hitting like he used to. I do think, and this is something I'm, I'm just sort of thinking through now. I typically, if I have two good catchers, just sort of continue to play matchups, try to maximize the value I get from them, not play them if they have even a remotely difficult matchup. I'm now wondering if maybe that's wrong. And if you've got a guy like, you should use your catchers when you think your catchers are good plays and don't worry about going ahead of the pace. And if you find yourself That's right in July mm-hmm. saying, I've used up 140 games and I only have 20 left and I still have Carson Kelly and Wilson Contreras and they are both still killing the ball. Then you go out and say, okay, well, Kelly's my cheap one who I want to keep. So I'm going to sell Contreras. And I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think you can, I think that as a reactive strategy makes sense. Again, it's something you can fall into. And if you fall into it, 100% makes sense to do. Yeah. I think what I've done in the past, and now I'm, I'm questioning if I shouldn't have, what I've done in the past is I've said, if I have two catchers who I feel like I should be playing both of them 70% of the time, but they're both really good, I'll just play them 50% of the time and get the just the best 50%. I think that's wrong. I think what I should be doing, if I've got two catchers who I should play 70% of the time, I should play them 70% of the time and just get out I mean, ahead very of instated, Variance day-to-day is, is really hard to try to... Predict. That, I mean, because that's that's sort of what I was getting at before. That That's where it can become, it become, can become really exhausting and really disheartening. Because you can miss home runs, you can miss you can miss games that you wanted to get. You can play them when you just feel like you're, you're snake bit, and like sometimes it's it's overthinking, and like that that's the thing that I'm like, I, you can sense a burnout coming when you start feeling like that. Um, but also, Chad, I have full faith in your ability to play platoons, so yeah. don't. <laughs> Don't ever change. I, I also think, I, and Justin, you brought this up before, this idea of like, could you do the opposite? Could you draft no catchers and wait and see what catchers perform well right. and trade for the midseason? And I think the answer to that is no. I think that strategy does not work. And the reason I think that strategy doesn't work is twofold. One, there may only be two or three good catchers in any given season. And if there's only two or three and those teams don't want to trade their catchers because they also need good catchers, then you're stuck. The other is that even if you go out and get the two catchers you need to backload your season, if either of them gets hurt, if either of them has it's high a, risk. a slump, if you, right? Like there's too many things that can happen, especially a catcher, right? Catchers get hurt all the time. So I, I would never, I, I, I shouldn't say never. I did once. I, that, that's why I know this. I tried this. And I was scrambling and like I was signing every free agent catcher I could find for the last month of the season because I just desperately needed games. Like you don't want to put yourself in that position. So I don't think there's anything wrong. I did this this year where I drafted multiple catchers who I thought would be really good. And I've been like I shed Gary Sanchez in one league already in another league. I've actually got two catchers who I still think are really good. And if I end up in June or July with my catcher games almost used up, so be it. I'm not going to pace myself anymore. I'm just going to use up my catcher games with games I think are a good use of my catchers. And then I will back into this strategy of overusing my catchers and then trading one of them. But I'm not going to set out to do it because I don't think it's a, I just don't think there's enough upside to do it. Okay. The other questions we received, the next ones I should say, we had a couple questions on the forums about 
rebuilds. And it is something we've covered before in prior episodes, episode 20, episode 24, episode 25, episode 26. It is absolutely something that we probably will start covering again, maybe May or June, as we start to get to that decision point for a lot of teams where they start to think, is now the time that I need to start thinking about rebuilding. So we're not going to cover it in too much detail right now. In general, I'd say we're going to cover it later, and we have covered it in the past. One of the questions was about you know, how to know when to rebuild. Again, for me, a lot of that is based on you know, what your team looks like as far as projections and as far as the the standings and the pace that you're on. That's pretty much the common answer for me. And as we've discussed in the past, I think I'm more pessimistic than someone like Chad who who says, no, push yourself, keep keep going, keep going, don't don't give up yet. Where I'm a little more nihilistic and saying, nah, it's probably over. But again, we'll we'll probably cover some of that in future episodes for sure, especially as we get closer to the summer. Anything else you guys want to add as far as those that in general for, for rebuilding stuff? No. <laughs> I was waiting. Well. I was ready for Chad to go there. It's so yeah, it's, I, it's not that we didn't want to address these questions. I just think it's probably it's one of the, the timing of it is better we, to discuss later. Or, yeah, it, it's worth a whole episode. It's worth two episodes. It's and worth we've the done four that, episodes right? we've we, done. Like yeah, it's, we did a whole episode on on how to rebuild. So we did rebuilds in terms of free agency. We've done rebuilds in terms of what to think about at the keeper deadline with the the keeper deadline. So yep. episode twenty is the free agency one. Twenty four and twenty five are keeper deadline. Episodes where we we looked we we look over teams. Those were the case studies. Yeah. Case studies. Thank you. Yeah. Yep. And then twenty six, we just talk about rebuilding. And and I know like the three of us love talking about that. To me, it's you know Chad and I were talking about this in Slack before the episode started. Like it, to me, it's the it's the essence of the game. It's 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 the it's the game itself. And a lot of these questions are super feel and everything. But I you know we I don't want to keep going because we'll just talk about this for the next hour because then because i'll say something and chad will disagree with me and then we'll be off and it'll be like and then the we'll next have to, 90 we'll minutes have to have of a verbal us. sparring match yeah, yeah right but i mean it's a great it's a great question and you're you're if you're wondering what it I, I guess the only thing i'd say is if you're wondering how to know when to rebuild and if you're wondering how to do a rebuild properly you are extremely asking the right questions that, that, yeah. that's go all back and to... go back and listen to those other episodes. I think there's some really good info there. I think the other thing I'll just remind people is that like this isn't the NBA where tanking and rebuilding means you have to be actually terrible so you get your best shot at getting right. the next superstar. Right. There's, there's no, no benefit to being bad. Yep. So if you're you know if you're thinking about rebuilding, like don't worry about like how quickly can I make my team bad enough to sink to the bottom because that isn't the, that shouldn't be the goal. Yeah. Like I was thinking about that earlier that like they're they're it's so different in different sports, right? The NBA, you actually want to be terrible and you want to be terrible long enough to get two or three shots at the lottery. And the NFL, you want to be terrible the exact right year to get the quarterback and then it doesn't matter as much. You can start to be good again. And in Major League Baseball, it almost doesn't matter. Just right. You know, you can rebuild like you get rid of expensive players to rebuild, but you don't actually have to go 60 and 102 in order to Rebound. It's a good way to maximize profits, though. That's probably another it podcast all to itself, it. too. <laughs> how, how to maximize profits and not our new? It's, well, it's if you're not a, to tank. <laughs> if you're a major league baseball team, yeah. Right, right. They compare and contrast. <laughs> <laughs> the next question that we had, again, was from the forums. What are your strategies for making cuts to facilitate free agent acquisitions? For example, do you cut your least valuable player or do you cut a bottom 20% player 
who you think has a chance to be picked up off waivers and free you from any cap penalties. I'll go first real quick. I think, obviously, like like most of these answers, it depends. I think if I have cash free, then I'll cut the worst player on my team. That's easy. If I'm sort of in a crunch, then yeah, I'm going to look long and hard at cutting not the worst player on my team, but maybe the fifth worst player on my team, or maybe even the 17th worst player on my team, but a player that can free that cash for me. And also a player that I do think if I cut them, I'm not going to be sitting on that cap penalty forever or for 30 days, really, that I think they're going to be claimed or re-auctioned and free me for some of that from some of that money. But a lot of that is, the, for me, it's dependent on what my roster construction and cap situation is um, on a team-by-team basis. So, 99% of the time, I cut the worst player on my team. I yeah. definitely agree with you too, Justin. It's but probably 90% for me that I'm cutting the worst the one. Yeah. It's just the worst player. It, yeah, if you... Like, the only reason I'm not cutting the last player on my bench if I'm in a cash crunch is if I have a $1 player and it makes my team illegal. Like, if I'm really tight, if I'm really up against it. Right. Otherwise, just get rid of the worst player, man. Just make your life easier so you don't have to... You don't have to question if you should be playing the worst player on your team. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I mean, I think it's really it's it's as simple as that. And again, sometimes, yeah, you're you're not cutting your actual worst player because the it's not always about maximizing the production on your team. Sometimes it's about maximizing the potential production, which includes the cash that you free that allows you to make other acquisitions. And it can be a complicated calculus to figure that out sometimes. But you know, usually, and I think especially lately. It's something I've come around to quite a bit. I, I used to have a lot of problems with maximizing. Like I always was at 4,400 and I'm, I'm not really involved in early auctions in, during the season. I'm not picking up any of the hot names because I just don't have the money to do it. The last few years, I've come around quite a bit on the idea of having more flexibility and pouncing on some of that and, you know, not putting myself in a position where I can't play in those markets because I'm cash strapped and I just have no flexibility. I want to have flexibility. I think that's more important than I ever thought it was. So that's another reason why I might be a little more willing to cut, you know, like a $16 Yasmani Grandal who's struggling when I already have a couple of other catchers on my team, where it might seem silly in, in a vacuum, it probably is, but in, in certain situations, I make those decisions. So I think the other thing that matters a lot to me is how bad the worst player on my team is. Like if I'm in your situation where I've got this $16 grand doll and I've got other good catchers, but the worst player on my team is someone who I literally think is worthless, like has no value, shouldn't be on a roster. I don't know why I have them. I'll just cut them because grand doll will still be there to cut in a week. Right. And, and so I can wait till the next auction to cut grand doll. Like I would never, like if I have someone who's truly terrible that I can cut and get myself legal, where my thinking is this cap penalty will probably never get cleared because this person doesn't belong, I would cut that person first, no matter what. Yeah, I think it's interesting to even have a conversation that doesn't involve, like, my choice is always rage cut, right? Like, I'm pre, pre proactively cutting Amir Garrett, you know? It's like, so there's there's a lot of situations where, you know, you're, you're cutting these guys because of th their performance. So it's not like you're sitting here and you're saying, well, I really have a calm and level... Like I cut players because I am, I have a weakness for putting them into my RP or OF slots and they need to not be there anymore. Right. And I think that's to me more important than being like, well, I might have a chance at freeing up an extra five bucks if I cut 
an underperforming Eddie Rosario because someone else might take advantage of him, might, might take advantage of that cut or something. So, like, to me, it's like, just, man, I'm setting lineups. Like, I just don't want to see Amir, Amir Garrett's <laughs> so home you're, run for nine. Let me get this straight. So you're making cuts to save you from yourself. Is that Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think that's right. And I think that's, like, not unreasonable. You have 40 no. roster spots. And if you're... I can't tell you there. how many times I've wanted Cleveland to cut players to save Tito from himself. <laughs> right, right, right. That's the way like, I'm thinking about it. Let's, that's right. Let's that's right. DFA Ben Gamble. Please. So that, just so, so, he, so that Tito stops making it the leadoff hitting starting center fielder. Yes, yes, yes. It's Chad gets it. Basically, I'm Tito. I don't do that in Auto New, though, because I'm a good manager. <laughs> well, <laughs> so I'm I don't Tito. Have to worry about that. I'm Tito, and I keep seeing Amir Garrett, and I'm like, well, I like his stuff. And it makes no sense, because his stuff is really beautiful stuff that loves leaving the park. So I don't... <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of it, you know, it, it is... If you feel like you have the patience um, to be a little clever there, you can. But if you have a more than $1 player that is that you never want to see in your lineup again... That is absolutely where you got to start, and and even Justin, you have to admit that's that's most of the cuts, right? Oh, it absolutely is. But but the one thing I was going to bring up is this is one thing, among many other things, that makes formats like Autonew really unique and really uh, fun, is that in a standard redraft league, this isn't even a question, right? You just always cut your worst player because there's no other considerations to have. Where in this there are you have you have cap considerations and that matters and and you have keeper considerations and things like that you know if the guy's overpaid and he's struggling and it's going to free you some money yeah you might cut Yasmani Grandal where in a redraft it, it might not ever happen because he's still not he's not going to be the worst player on your team in in ninety nine point nine percent of instances so the one other thing I would say is if the if that worst player on your team isn't terrible. And you have a situation where, like, you're looking at your last guy on your team and you're like, yeah, he's clearly the worst player on my team, but I still kind of like him and I wish I had room for him, but I just don't. Those are the situations where then I might go, okay, but if he's a $2 player and the worst player on my team, is there a $12 player who's the 10th worst player on my team that I would rather cut? Because if you're up against that cap and you keep cutting $1 and $2 guys, you keep staying up against that cap. And all you're doing is delaying what's what's potentially the inevitable, which is that you're going to eventually have to cut someone who's more expensive. Yep. And sometimes you can buy yourself some time by just saying, forget it, I'm going to skip three steps. I'm going to cut the more expensive guy. And then I've got my bottom five guys that I can see maybe one of them does break out. Maybe one of them does get a trade off or maybe something else comes there before I cut all of them. But that's only, again, that's only really true if I'm looking at my bottom five guys and thinking, man, I don't really want to cut any of these guys. I've got to cut someone. They're clearly the bottom, but I don't really want to cut them all at all. If I've got someone I'm like, this person needs to go, then you're not delaying the inevitable. You're just cutting the the, the crappy player and just get rid of him and move on. Yep. The next question, I, which I think was from the same person, was what are some key strategies for identifying free agent targets? Obviously, your strategy will depend on your team's needs and whether you are rebuilding or contending, but what do you look for to identify breakout players? Do you add based on roster need or greatest potential upside? So I'll let you guys start with this set of questions here about identifying players to add. We've talked about well, who to cut, but now who to add. Well, for what I what I said here, and I, I think it's sort of a false dichotomy between roster construction, roster need and upside because... It's entirely like the question itself acknowledges that it's dependent on your situation. Are you rebuilding? Are you trying to compete? 
Upside is a roster need. <laughs> and that's the way I would think about it. If you are rebuilding, upside is more of a roster need than if you are not rebuilding, if you are trying to add talent for the future, right? So to me, I think the answer is don't make that distinction and make the entire distinction around, well, what is your goal for your team this year? Are you trying to qualify for OPL? Are you trying to win? Are you trying to position yourself to win next year? And that should really answer your question, I think. Because you really, I mean, like, upside isn't, upside should not be in opposition to positional need. It should be complementary to it, right? So if you're looking at an outfielder and if you're looking at five outfielders and you can you can range them from certainty to upside, then it becomes what is your team trying to accomplish, not not anything other than that. I read I read the upside a little bit differently in that to me, if you need an outfielder and you have five outfielders ranging from let's say, you know, Seth Brown as an upside play to I don't know, who's a more stable outfielder who's a free agent, but maybe not as exciting. I can't think of one off the top of my head. No, they're usually um, all rostered by this point. Yeah, they are. But like, so Nico Horner versus Josh Harrison. How's that for an example? Where like, I'm more, you're more likely to get decent production out of Harrison. There's more upside in Horner. If you need a second baseman, like decide which one of those guys you like better and go get them. To me, the upside was like, do you actually, is, is those cases where you actually use a roster spot and like a prospect or on something you don't need at all, where it's not like I need a second baseman, which second baseman do I want? It's more of a just, how am I going to fill this spot? I rarely find myself at this point in the season with a roster spot like that. Roster, roster spot spots like that come up later in the year when either That's I've decided to rebuild or when I hit a point where I'm like, I don't need anything. My roster is actually fine. It's doing what I need. Yes, I could use upgrades, but there's no like glaring need. But I've got this like, injured relief pitcher who I don't need anymore, who I can cut, that's when I might just go pure upside and be like, ooh, George Kirby is still a free agent in this league. I'm just going to add him even though I have no use for him. In general, what I do for finding free agents, I do a couple of things. I, I look at, I go into the free agent tab on my league, the players tab, and I search for free agents. I sort by roster percentage just to look at like who's not rostered in this league, but is in others. It's often a good place to start. Like, it seems silly, but if, if somebody's 90% rostered and not rostered in your league, you should probably look at them and figure out what's going on. I also will look at sort by the 30-day ad. I don't use the seven-day ad. I don't know why. It seems like too small a sample to me. But I look at the 30-day ad, which is probably too late. I probably should look at the seven-day ad. But I sort by that and like, okay, who's being added a lot? And I, I again, if someone's being added in a ton of leagues and hasn't been added in mine, why? Then I go into the Fangraphs free agent leaderboard that you can get into and start looking at all the stats I would look at if I were looking for a good player in general, right? I'm going to look at who has the highest WOBA, who has the lowest BABIP among hitters, right? That might be a good buy low, someone who maybe got cut because they're underperforming, but is actually better than they look. Uh, I'm going to start looking at stats like that. And what I, I do that every once in a while for any of my leagues, and I just add guys to the watch list. Doesn't matter if I need players or not. I just go in, I do this once in a while, and I'm like, okay, watch list, watch list, watch list. So that the day an outfielder gets hurt, the day I realize I'm short a starting pitcher, I can go into my watch list and I've got a bunch of guys and I can quickly look and say, okay, I need a starting pitcher. Who are the starting pitcher on my starting pitchers on my watch list and which one of them am I gonna go pick up? And that's generally how I go about it. There are cases where I'm doing that search with no intention of starting an auction, and then I'm like, ooh. 
this guy's really interesting and he's a free agent and I'm just going to start this auction right now. But I try to do it. Like I try to just do it when I'm not looking for need because I find when I'm looking for need, if I'm like, I need an outfielder, then I go look for outfielders and I don't pay attention to the fact that there's like some super interesting middle infielder available that I should have paid attention to. So I prefer to do it when I'm not thinking about my team needs. I just go in, I look around, I find guys, I add them to the watch list. And then when I need somebody, I go to the watch list and just pick off the guy who's the best fit. That's how I go about adding free agents. Um, I will say I don't use the watch list nearly as much as I probably should. And so that's a great call out from Chad. I do want to highlight, though, there's a somewhat recent addition. I don't know when you added this, Niv, but you're actually able, if you're on any player's player card in Audinu and you scroll down, you'll find that section where it tells you if that player is rostered in other leagues and who they're rostered by. There's a column of stars there. You can just hit those stars and that is adding them to your watch list in those leagues. So you could bulk, you know, you find a reliever you really like, add them to your watch list in, in every one of your leagues, all in one move. It's really handy, especially obviously for people that are in multiple leagues. So I spent so long, so long to build that feature. It's Such like a hardship like, for you. <laughs> there were like there were like four times where I was like, Niv, you should build this. I'm gonna go to the wish list on the forums and add it because I know you build stuff off the wish list. And he's like, it's there. You added it a long time ago. Stop asking for it. I'll you get to just, it when it makes you, sense. And then he did, and I'm so happy. So, yeah, so we happy. did. That was added this year, and yeah, it seems like just based on my sample size of two humans that I talk to pretty regularly, Justin <laughs> and Chad, it has been a very helpful addition for multiple players who are in multiple leagues. So that's great. I mean, nine times out of 10, if you're finding someone that's worthy of adding to a particular league's watch list, they're probably somebody you also would want to add in your other league watch list as well. So, right. Yeah. And also, I think that has a lot to do with the fact, like I just said, I try to do my searches and watch list ads when I'm not looking for need. I'm just right. looking for interesting players. Yep. That and makes so it's the other reason I try actually not to do what I'm looking for need, because if I'm, if I'm looking for outfielders, I miss the middle infielder I might need for a different league. If all I do is go and say like, ooh, this guy's interesting, add him to all my watch lists where he's a free agent. Ooh, this guy's interesting, add him to all my watch lists. Then, when I, then it doesn't matter what my needs are. When I go, look, that guy is there ready for me. Yeah, it's, it's great. I, I love that feature. I'm a big, 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 big fan. My answer to this question uh, is a lot of it is the same as what Chad just said. I'm also going to use the surplus calculator. Yes, you can sort by roster percentage on the auto site, obviously, but you can also do that on the surplus calculator on the free agent tab. So if I'm already in there anyway, looking at player values, and then I can go into that tab and, and sort by roster percentage. The other thing that I do is I've mentioned it before. I have a spreadsheet that I prepare that looks at the ERA estimators for pitchers, and I have a spreadsheet set up so I can enter my league number and then see which of those pitchers are rostered by which team so I can identify who isn't rostered in a particular league but has been pitching really, really well. I need to build something that's probably similar to that for hitters, maybe using XWOBA. But that's a lot of it is just, yes, looking at at players that are 90% rostered that aren't rostered in my league. That's a great call out. But I also want to find those guys that aren't rostered anywhere yet. I want to be the one that, that's the first in on those because timing matters so much. If you're the first one to roster a hot a hot name, you have them for a dollar or two. If you're the the 70, 75th percentile of adding that player, you're you're paying peak premium price for that player. I want to be on the early end rather than the late end. It's still important to look at those players that are rostered in a lot of other leagues because sometimes they're, you know, maybe they were cut for some reason and you and you can add them or maybe it's just missed. Like sometimes I'm in some leagues where they just seem to be a, there's a blind spot to certain types of players that you, you're like, wait, 
I didn't even think that this guy could be available, but they are because for whatever reason, the characteristics of that league, nobody added that player. So I, I have nothing to add to that. I am bad at doing this. And so this is something I want to get better at, at identifying and adding players. So I think it's worth mentioning that you can be bad at this because it's hard to keep up. And this is where analysis that, you know, Chad and Justin do is invaluable. But I would I would just call out the Fangraphs leaderboards as being really helpful on this front. Obviously, the watch list, we've made a lot of changes. I made a lot of changes to the watch list to make it a little bit more integrated on the site. So you can add players to your watch list just from the search page. You can add players to the watch list, like, like Justin called out for, for your other leagues. And you'll see them highlighted everywhere. And that, that can be really helpful. But so I would just recommend the watch list and I would recommend the Fangraphs tools. Like, you know, we, we talked about this a lot last week, so I'm not going to belabor the point, but the Fangraphs tools are exactly what Major League Baseball front offices use. And auto new users right now have about, I would say, 85% of the capabilities of the full Fangraphs leaderboards that front, front office analysts use. And I'm hoping to get that close to 100% very soon. So use them because they're awesome. They're really great. And again, like we talked, we talked about it last week, so we don't have to talk about it again. But this, this is, this is just one of those things that, like, if you're listening to this right now and you're like, "Man, I don't do that stuff." Like, I'm with you, and I need to do a little. And I think there's opportunity to just do better. And I think there's good tools to do better. So, I, I'm getting to the point in League One where I need to start thinking about how I'm going to rebuild this Amir Garrett riddled bullpen. So, the the other thing I would suggest is, especially with the ability to go to a player page and add a guy in your watch list really quickly in all of your leagues. If you hear about a guy, if you read an article, if like something pops up and you're like, oh, Eno sent out a tweet about this guy and I'm super intrigued. The cheapest thing in the world is having a player on your watch list. Yeah, just go do it. No, right. 100% agree. And then when, and then if you get in the habit of doing that, then every time you think you need to add someone in the league, your first stop can be your watch list. And when you get your watch list, you can be like, oh, that's right. Eno wrote an article last week about all the buy lows. And, right. and you, this and guy you have, was in it and I need him. Go do yeah. it. And player notes aren't aren't constrained to just who's on your roster, right? You can leave notes for free agents. You can leave, leave notes for anyone. So you can really use your watch list, I think, extensively here. Uh, and Niv mentioned it, but I want to double down on it as well, is once you've added somebody to your watch list, let's look here on your league homepage and you see all the active auctions. If someone that is on your watch list is being auctioned right now, they will be highlighted. So you can use that as a trigger to say, oh, wait, this is a player I already know I'm interested in because I added them to my watch list. And, and you know, there there's a visual reminder to you that this is someone you want to pay attention to and probably put in a bid. So that can be important. That's another really, and that's one reason I should be using a watch list a lot more because... You know, it'd be a lot yeah, easier for me to track things if there's I. There's a lot. There's some people ask for that stuff to be on email or like in other notifications, and it becomes really hard. We don't send emails individually; we send them per league. So multiplying the number of emails by over 10x is cost prohibitive. So your watch list, like again, it like the best place is just to go to the homepage, fill up your watch list with everyone you want. There's no way of like customizing the email, so just keep an eye on your homepage and look at the latest transactions. You'll see highlighted players on your watch list. Look on, when you search for players, you'll see players on your watch list and you can add them quickly. So I guess the big takeaway is whatever criteria you do want to use, use your watch list to get there. And then player notes too is the other thing. It's just like, 
feel free like you may not remember and, and you know chad sort of mentioned that you may not remember why you added someone to your watch list but you have full control of player notes for every player and they're personalized to your team so if there's somebody that you want to just keep on your watch list because you know mentioned them but you're like you come back two weeks later and you're like why is this guy on my watch list Make sure to leave player notes. You know, there's there's no cost. Those things are just frictionless and don't require you to put any any of your team's resources towards it. So I would just take advantage of it. Yep. Yep. And I think that's the thing we should probably harp on a little bit more is that there's some of these, there's a lot of really useful tools linked on the site yeah. and built into the site. And I, um, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling somewhat sheepish and that's why I'm talking so much. I'm feeling sheepish that I don't use them as much as I do, to be honest. Well, and, and, and I mean, isn't that proof right there? I mean, Niv creates these tools. I, I'm in so many leagues and I'm still not using, I'm admitting that I'm not using them enough. Yeah, we should be talking um, about if, them more. If we're not doing that enough, then then a lot of other people probably aren't as well. Though so we I will say some people ball. are using those notes in a way that is <laughs> tremendous. <laughs> yeah. I need to do like, we could, we could do a grab bag sometime in the future where I go through the teams with the most individual player notes. Which which teams those numbers have added get their most those numbers <laughs> get big fast. I don't have to look at your notes, but I can tell you how many you've got, and it's That's it's fun. fun, man. Yeah, yeah, that is fun. You want uh, this last question, Justin? Yeah. Speaking of fun, <laughs> we we did get a question Spe- on Twitter. Speaking of fun, yeah. Question. We'll, we'll say it's from uh, J. Viber. That's too obvious. We'll say Gen Gen V. Is that? V? Yeah. My wife asked a question on Twitter. <laughs> And it was a joke, but I'm also going to answer it seriously. And her question was, how many leagues is too many? And and obviously, she's just trying to zing me on how many auto new leagues I play in. But I will answer it seriously. As much as I want everyone to be in as many leagues as they can be for the sake of Niv and auto new continuing to be uh, a thing, I think there's definitely a point where you're in too many leagues. And I think no way. for me, it, it's no possible. Way. It is. <laughs> yes, there is. I know. I'm sorry. Justin, look at me. There's no way. <laughs> Listen, no. if and you already know what I'm going to say in response. If you if you add best ball, then maybe there is no limit because <laughs> I can just add best ball leagues. Uh, and it, it doesn't have the same time commitment. But for me personally, I think once I get past six leagues, my ability to appropriately pay attention and respond to trade messages and and be active and, and as active as I should be in those leagues, I think beyond six is too many. Now, that's going to be different for everybody. I know there are managers out there that have really good systems that they've built, and they have a lot of teams because they can manage that. I have That's one reason I had the surplus calculator was also potentially a way for me to manage all these teams that I had. But, you know, there, there probably is a point where you have to ask yourself, is adding another league going to harm my ability to enjoy and compete in the other leagues I already have? And if the answer is yes, then you have to think about whether you want to add another league. But... My wife just, she, you know, she's upset because she never knows exactly how many leagues I'm in because I won't tell her. So it's it's a running joke. I tell her it's you know, I'm in perplevin <laughs> leagues. It's a make-believe number that doesn't exist, <laughs> and that's all you need to know. So more more seriously, this is I, I am speaking completely honestly right now. There are a lot of things built into how I run Auto New that are baked around the idea that you should not play in too many leagues. Right. We don't go wild on trying to acquire users for a reason and that's because a lot of people that have come and a lot of you who are listening have taken a lot of time to consider if you want to play auto new and you take a really good dedicated 
attempt at your first attempt at playing auto new and it makes the game better for everybody it's not just more fun for you when you get to focus on it but it makes the product better for everybody and growing for the sake of growth is not the goal the goal is to make a game that's fun for everyone and if you're in too many leagues and you're not able to manage your teams and you're not able to put forth the best competitive effort either on the rebuild side or on the actual like trying to win side that's bad. That's just bad for auto new. It's bad for you. It's bad for the people you play with. And I take that like, you know, I, that, that's, there's a really long conversation there that I should be having with an audience that is much broader than this audience. But at the end of the day, look, like I'm with, I'm with Jennifer V here. Like if there are too many leagues, feel free to step back. There are always serious players who are considering playing auto new, who will come in and take care of it. If you are finding yourself too stressed to play auto new, the worst thing that I want, the last thing I want anyone to have is burnout. I really want, I'd rather have you have a really good time with three leagues or two leagues instead of a bad time with 10 and find that happy spot is like just super important for, for me as making the product as good as it can. And also just as a human on earth that doesn't want to find people stressed out by playing auto new. Cause that's, that's like the last thing I want to create. I think, I think that is the answer. It's like, how many can you be in while you're having fun? Yep. And that, that's exactly. the answer. And like, I'll be honest, like I've hit a point this year where not, not auto new specifically, but broadly I'm playing in too many fantasy leagues and I'm very quickly learning which ones I care about and which ones I don't. And I'm not going to go back to the ones I don't care about. It's just not worth it because they're not fun. They become a distraction. I was literally just talking to Niv about this this morning because I got push notifications from Yahoo. The pitcher list staff and community leagues are on Yahoo. And I got all these push notifications about players in my lineup who don't have games today. It's like, it's a Thursday. There are, there are like, three games today. <laughs> there's nobody playing. Yeah. And my lineups are like, I just leave guys in my lineup. I'm not going to bench everybody who doesn't have a game just for the sake of benching everyone who doesn't have a game. That's stupid. Why would I do that? And all those push notifications did was remind me that like, I'm not putting as much effort into those leagues. I don't care quite as much about them. And I don't know, maybe I won't do those leagues next year, but like, it's just like, that's not helpful. Right? right. And I know that what Yahoo's doing is trying to like keep me engaged and remind me to go back and see my, cause team. Like, they oh, have a, man. they have a different problem they're solving, which is that the players who play Yahoo check out yeah. and, one great argument for why we'll never have push notifications for lineups because that's exhausting and stop it. And two, like, yeah, if, I mean, look, it's gotta be fun. If it's not fun, you gotta stop doing it. And if it's, if you think it's fun, but you also get tired when you think about setting your lineup, it's not fun. Like you, you, that, that's what not fun feels like, you know? And I think a lot of people forget that and they get so excited by like the economic mechanics of auto new and the idea of like getting a bunch of different chances to try to get to try to roster certain players or try out different strategies and stuff. And I know that's fun, but if you if you're nine AM, I'm gonna look at my lineups page is filled with like a little bit of dread, you're in too many leagues, you know? And and I will be the first person I am literally my livelihood depends on this. I'll be the first person to tell you, drop a team, man. It please. Like I'd rather you had fun in one less league. 
And and there's no shame in, in making that decision. If if you are in that situation, there's no shame 100% in, in doing not. that. One hundred percent. I mean, I've done it, and and it, sometimes it's ebbs and flows. Sometimes maybe, depending on what's going on, your capacity for seven I look, leagues I look is, forward is there. To your auto new, both of you actually, your auto new winnings, paying your kids to go through college because once they're both in co- once both of you have both your kids in college. You'll pick up more out of new teams. <laughs> <laughs> Is that how it's going to work? I, that's my hope. <laughs> Both of my kids are college, so in 13 years. Huh? Yeah, right. I mean, look, it's a long game, guys. Like, we've been playing auto new for 15 years already. So what's another 15? Yeah, actually, that's kind of crazy to think about that. <laughs> By the yeah. time my kids go to school, <laughs> it'll be less time. You're closer than to your kids being in college. Yep. Yeah. I'm closer to my kids being in college than I am. Both of my kids being in college than I am to my first auto new draft. Sands wow. through the hourglass. We are old. <laughs> let's <laughs> let's end on that one. As the oldest one in the room, I will say, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think we are old. Yeah, we're getting there. <laughs> All right. Wonderful note. Yeah, on on that bazinga from my wife, who had had to comment. I love that she was the only one that replied to the Autobot Pod Twitter account, putting out a call for questions. What we appreciate all of you in the forums. Yes, absolutely. And there were there were questions. I think one of these questions was on Slack. I, I didn't mention that, but yeah, there were questions on the forums. There were a couple of questions on Slack. We had more than we that we didn't get to. But in the future, when we do, and like I said, I think we're gonna probably try to do these once a month or so. You can f- find us posting a call for questions on Slack, on the Autonew community forums, and at Autobot Pod Twitter account for the podcast. We will we will tweet out as well. So thank you for everybody who submitted questions and thank you for everybody who listens and we will catch you next time. Have a good night.